0: Welcome back to Bible time. First Thessalonians four fifteen. For this, we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. He's saying here that those of us that are alive are not going to stop the ones who are not alive from getting to God. Aren't you glad of that? Wouldn't it be a sorry shame if just because you were alive, the people that you loved that had died um, couldn't make it to heaven? What a mess that would be, or they wouldn't be able to be resurrected because you were there. That would be a mess. But here he says, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Now that's the obvious application. The obvious, plain, straightforward application of it that just leaps off the page is that those of us that are alive are not going to stop those that are not alive at the coming of the Lord, that are dead, are asleep at the coming of the Lord. But there's a whole lot more to this verse, a whole lot more to be dug out of it, a whole lot more not to be twisted out of it, but to be dug out of it that it openly says. Let's look at it here in more detail, but let's pray before we get started. Father, in Jesus' name, please open our eyes, open our understanding, illuminate us, give us clear understanding of your word. We thank you for this text, Father God. We thank you for every word that you put in the word of God, because every word of God, all of it is pure, and we thank you, Lord, that you're a shield to them that put their trust in you as we do today. We thank you in Jesus name. Amen. Now here we have for this, we say unto you, who is the we of verse 15? Who is the we of verse 15? Who knows? Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus. Verse 1 says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But they did not even cite their apostolic authority. They did not cite um, any other kind of authority. They did not cite authority from the supposed first church at Jerusalem or some kind of supposed church at Rome. Instead, they said, For this we say unto you, you by the word of the Lord. So here you have two things happening in this opening phrase of 1 Thessalonians 4.15. You have the um, fallibility of human beings and the infallibility of a holy God being contrasted, but working in conjunction, working together. God using human instruments, human agency to accomplish his divine providential will. You have a sovereign God and you have have people who are, um, fallen people who have been regenerated by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the indwelling and the filling of the Holy spirit of God. And you have these people who are yet in their, as Paul says, vile bodies and God almighty choosing to speak through these fallen men. So you have the sovereignty of God linked together with the agency of human beings who are not the least bit sovereign and who are created beings. So he says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus, we say unto you, by the word of the Lord. I want us to go to 1 Kings quickly. 1 Kings verse chapter 13, quickly. And when you get there, we'll see this, the word of the Lord featured in 1 Kings 13. We're going to blitz through this and Lord willing, move on. We could preach all day just on this phrase, by the word of the Lord. Um, For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord. And this would—and it would be a wonderful message, a powerful message in and of itself. But we're going to try and stick to the um, our study plan of a verse um, per session. So we're, gonna, we're just going to try and see what God does. So here it says, and behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel so we have this same phrase by the word of the Lord this phrase is um, patently a Old Testament phrase, if I, if patently is even the right word to use. It is a phrase that shows up in the Old Testament over and over and over again. Um, similar phrases like this are all throughout the Old Testament. And here in First Kings 13, we have, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. That, that means it wasn't his idea. But again, you have a man doing something God said to do so that he can say, say what God said to say, so that God's work gets done through man's agency. And this is throughout all of the word of God, a common theme, but especially stressed in the old Testament verse two, or it says in Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And this man of God in verse two, he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord and said, "O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name. And upon these shall he offer Offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. Follow along in your Bibles and pay close attention. Verse 3, And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord hath spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. And it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which he had cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, lay hold on him. And his hand, which he put forth against him, dried up so that he could not pull it in again to him. The altar also was rent and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. So this story that is a real story, a true life event that took place happened shortly after the kingdom split and um, 10 of the tribes went with Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, one tribe stayed with Solomon, Solomon's son Rehoboam, that is. And then the tribe of Benjamin kind of just hung out and ended up siding more with the tribe of Judah in the long run. Now, the these tribes here, these 10 tribes had a new altar that had been built at Bethel and that new altar according to Jeroboam was more convenient and he Jeroboam told them these be thy gods O Israel which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt and he built golden calves put one at Dan and one at Bethel so here's the scene imagine in your mind a high place a, a platform that has been leveled off and they've paved it probably with stones and they've got a big altar there in an open place and all the people coming to worship God and and they say, We're coming to worship Jehovah God. Imagine them coming. Imagine seeing the priests there in their blue robes and their um, spin offs of the ephod and probably spin off of the breastplate and spin off of the bonnet and spin off of the mitre. And they've got all these things like God said to do it. And they're saying that they're worshiping Jehovah God, but they're worshiping a golden calf. They say, we're worshiping God, but then instead of bowing to God, they bow down to a golden calf. And when they do that, they say, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. Was that God that brought them out of Egypt, that golden calf? No, it was not. So they had instituted a false pagan idolatry, but they were using all the biblical terms and mixing in paganism with their idolatry and using the Bible as the basis for it. This is one of the original appearances of the Catholic Church. It's been around a long, 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 long time. This, The Catholic Church started all the way back in the Garden of Eden, and its first high priest was Satan himself, because that is who runs that filthy abomination of a harlot. False church. Now, um, that being said, we have here Um, And that's not to be confused with what the Bible would call a Catholic, which would be universal church. That's a totally different discussion for another day. The church that goes by the title of Catholic Church is as false as it can be. Now, um, here they're worshiping at this altar, and this man of God comes up by the word of the Lord. He comes up to the altar by the word of the Lord. He cries against the altar in the word of the Lord. Jeroboam tries to stop him, and his hand withers up, and the altar was rent, and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. So I want to ask you, whenever that man cried against the altar, and he said that the altar would be broken, was Was that God or the man talking? That was God talking, but I want to, but what else? That was also the man talking. When that man spoke, they did not hear God's voice. And that was part of their problem. They heard the man's voice, but who was talking? Whose word was it that was being spoken? God's word so the man of God spoke God's word and the people heard the man's voice but God spoke and this is how God's done it all throughout here in our text in first Thessalonians four fifteen, he says for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord so these men Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus are talking and their voices are being heard by other men but God is the one that is talking to them God is the one that is saying that, and this in our text that we're we're reading here is not just the word of men, but it is the word of God. So look at a, look at a couple other references here in verse nine. It says, um, well, the man prayed for the king and God restored his hand and the king invited him over for dinner. Verse nine, for so was it charged me, said the man who said, I will not go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so was it charged me, verse nine, by the word of the Lord saying, eat no bread nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So he went another way and returned not by the way that he came to Bethel. So the man of God had evidently received more Word from God than what he said at the altar. He went and cried against the altar, but apparently God had said something else by the word of the Lord to the man. And now that man shared to the other to the king what God had said to him by the word of the Lord. Look at verse seventeen. Here an old prophet tries to get him to come back. He's resting by a tree. He shouldn't have stopped. Verse 17 For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, thou shalt eat no bread, nor drink water there, nor turn again to go. By by the way, that thou camest. Now this old prophet says to the young, to the man of God that came from Judah, he said unto him in verse 18, I am a prophet also as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord saying, bring him back with thee unto thine house that he may eat bread and drink water, but he lied unto him. So here we find something very important about the word of the Lord. This is one of the most important passages of scripture in the whole Bible for understanding the word of the Lord, understanding understanding the responsibility that we are that we have to God whenever we hear the word of the Lord at the mouth of a man of God but also understanding that men can say that they're speaking by the word of the Lord and not be speaking by the word of the Lord just because somebody says that they're speaking by the word of the Lord doesn't mean that they really are so here this old prophet tells the man of God from Judah I am as a I am a prophet as thou art and he said an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord and told me to bring you back and feed you bread and water. And here we're going to find that this young man of God, well, we assume he's a younger man of God, that this man of God, um, went back and he ate bread and drank water and he disobeyed the word of the Lord that God had given him. So it says in verse 20, And it came to pass as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back. The guy that lied to him. God sent a message to the liar. Isn't that amazing? And this teaches us something else about the word of the Lord. That the word of the Lord is not dependent on a perfect human agent. Isn't that amazing? But rather a someone who has been consecrated to God. Now somebody that is a called by God to speak for God and then does not follow God and does not keep his word um, pretty soon is going to suffer extreme consequences for it. But here, this man who had lied now speaks by the word of the Lord. He says, Thus saith the Lord, For as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back and hast eaten bread and drunk water in the place of the which the Lord did say to thee, Eat no bread and drink no water. Thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulcher of thy fathers. What a lousy day that turned into. And it came to pass after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk that he saddled for him the ass to wit for the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him by the way and slew him and his carcass was cast in the way and the ass stood by it and the lion also stood by the carcass. And behold, men passed by and saw the carcass cast in the way and the lion lions standing by the carcass. And they came and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. And when the prophet that brought him back from the way heard thereof, he said, It is the man of God who is disobedient unto the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord hath delivered him unto the lion which hath torn him and slain him according to the word of the Lord which he spake unto him. Again we have the word of the Lord, 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 the word of the Lord. We have the word of the Lord coming to the man in Judah and sending him to Bethel. We have the word of the Lord that he preached against the altar. We have the word of the Lord that he that he told the king he cannot eat bread or drink water. We have the word of the Lord again to the old prophet. We have the lying prophet saying that he's speaking by the word of the Lord. And then we have the amazing phenomena of that same lying prophet receiving a true word of the Lord after having received a, or after having lied about the word of the Lord, and then God making him tell the truth. And then we have again, the word of the Lord being mentioned in verse 26, that the man of God was disobedient to the word of the Lord and therefore died. And we find that the old prophet went and got the carcass of the man of God and laid it upon the ass and brought it back. And the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. And he laid his carcass in his own grave and they mourned over him saying, Alas, my brother. And it came to pass after he had buried him that he spake to his son saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the sepulcher wherein the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones for the saying, which he cried by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places which are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. Go to Second Kings 23. All of this took place, this man of God is unnamed in the Bible. All of this took place, God speaking through human agents, God who is perfect, even using imperfect agency, imperfect human beings. And verse 15 of chapter 23, we find King Josiah which the man of God had prophesied. A child shall be born in the house of David, Josiah by name. And here is Josiah, who knew nothing of the law of God, whose dad was not a good dad, whose dad was ungodly. But Josiah found the word of God later in his reign, after almost 20 years of reigning, something like that. And then he... Um, began to obey the Word of God and to purge Israel and Judah from their idols, and we find here in second kings verse chapter um, twenty three verse fifteen that he comes to the altar at Bethel moreover the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam the son of Nebat who made Israel to sin had made both that altar and the high place he broke down and burned the high place and stamped it small to powder and burned the grove and as Josiah turned himself he spied the sepulchers that were there in the mount and sent and took the bones out of the sepulchers and burned them upon the altar and polluted it which is what the man of God had said that Josiah would do would burn the bones of these priests upon the altar. And it says, And polluted it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed who proclaimed these words. Then he said, What title is that that I see? And the men of the city told him, It is the sepulcher of the man of God which came from Judah, and proclaimed these things that thou hast done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, Let him alone, let no man move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet that came out of the Sumer- out of Samaria. And so here hundreds of years later, you have the word of the Lord being fulfilled exactly as it was said. I talked to somebody not too long ago, sometime last year, that said that he was believing the prophets. He says, I, I'm believing the prophets. Trump's going to get back in. And so his prophets were prophesying that Trump was going to get the election overturned and get back in and, and whatever. All that's, I'm not going to get into all that right now. It's off topic. But the point is that he was trusting his prophets and they made a prophecy. It was a vague prophecy and it didn't come to pass. Yet he still continued to believe his prophets. He made a couple somewhat specific statements as the hearings were taking place. After the election did not get turned over, I went and had another chance to talk to that man and he ha- and I told him that the Bible says that if the word of a prophet does not come to pass that the Lord hath not spoken by him and he didn't want to talk about it. Didn't want ha- to have anything to do with it other than to invite me to a prophecy conference where more of his prophets were going to prophesy more false prophecies and more lies. <coughs> now, um, here, the word of the Lord comes to pass. The word of the Lord always comes to pass. What you need to take home from this is that God speaks and God speaks through human agents and God speaks through people who will die. And even after they die, the, the word of the Lord will still come to pass. The word of the Lord is not dependent upon human agency, but God chooses to use human agents to speak to man for him. Why does he do that? Because he's God and he chose, chose to do it that way. That's why. So we've got three things to notice here. Men speaking by the word of the Lord, just normal men like Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy here in our text. Next, I want you to notice that in First Thessalonians, he uses an Old Testament phrase, by the word of the Lord, meaning that God is still the same God. And God still says what God says, and what God says will still happen. And what God said in the Old Testament will happen is still going to happen. God said, I am not a man that I should repent. God doesn't change. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. And God is not going to change. What God God said he will do he will do whether men agree with him or not whether men die or not whether men live or not whether we live whether we die wherever we go we can rest confidently in the word of God that what God said he will do God will do <coughs> so we notice that men were speaking by the word of the Lord and now I want you to notice that God's word was spoken by men that the men were speaking, but that God was speaking. I know we've referenced this, but get it set. Men spoke God's word. God spoke through men. <clears throat> a lot of people really miss this. If you, if you lose God's word in the man, if the man of God speaks and you think that it's just a man and you miss God's word, you're in for a shock. You are in for a shock. If you see a man speak and you think because he's spoken God's word once that everything he says is God's word, you're in for another shock. God uses men, but God's word always comes to pass, even if the very men that speak against God's word speak God's word at other times. Go to 2 Timothy 3 quickly. (coughs) Second Timothy 3, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto every good work. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's not part. Some of the scripture's right and some of it's not. When I talked to that man about his false prophets, He said to me that one of the rules of prophecy is that prophets can't be specific. I asked him where he got that. He said, from a prophecy conference. I said, what does the Bible say? He said, well, that's what the prophets said at the prophecy conference, that prophecies can't be too specific. You can't give dates. You can't give times. You can't give seasons. You can't give any kind of specific names that it's going to be pretty vague. Um, and that's just the nature of prophecy. God prophesied Josiah by name that he would come from the loins of the kings of David and that he would come up against Bethel and that he would destroy it and burn the bones of the prophets up, that were offering sacrifices there upon that altar. 200 years later, when most people had forgotten about it and those prophets' bones had been moldering in their caves for over 200 years, God God's word came to pass exactly. God's word comes to pass exactly. Nostradamus, yeah, he's hit and miss. All these Pentecostal false prophets out here running around claiming to be apostles and prophets and making all their prophecies. Yeah, they're hit and miss. I know that. We've heard that. We've seen it. God's not hit and miss. God's word is not hit and miss. Second Peter chapter 1. <coughs> Please pray for me. Pray for my cough. Pray that I'll be able to preach. Second Peter chapter um, chapter one and verse twenty. Here it says that no scripture, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy ghost, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy ghost. God took men and he made them holy. You say, what about that man that lied? God cleansed him and used him. And that's only God that can do that. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And this is how the word of God was inspired. We looked at 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathes the words that men speak. And that is how God speaks to man. Now, um, that is how he has spoken to man. Then it changes again. Um, in in Hebrews it says that he hath in time past spoken us unto us through the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. And Jesus Christ came in the flesh, spoke to us directly. <clears throat> now, let's look at what Paul, Silvanus and Timothy Timothy say to the church at Thessalonians by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So the first part of that phrase, alive and remain, contrasts to dead and gone. Remain means that the dead are not here, by the way. Did you follow that? They which are alive and remain. Those that are, are, are alive and still remaining, they're still here on earth. This contrasts to dead, them that are asleep. Those that are dead, therefore, are not here. Their bodies are here, but they're not here. God said that the hairs of your head are numbered. God said that the very hairs of your head are numbered, that, there's, that a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground and die without his watch care, without God knowing it, and that God has counted the hairs of your head. So those which are dead, those that are asleep, their bodies lay in the grave but they are not there. Otherwise they would be dead and remain here. We have the alive and remain contrasted with those that are asleep. And he says unto the coming of the Lord, they which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord. Now there's more than one coming. This is kind of disjointed. I'm struggling with my cough, struggling to keep uh, my thoughts ordered. Please pray for me, and Lord, please help us today. So here, this coming of the Lord, there's more than one coming. The second coming, people talk about the second coming of the Lord. It's not really listed as such as I've found in the Bible, unless I overlooked it. If I did, I want to be corrected about that. But as far as a second coming, it talks about the coming of the Lord. All the comings of the Lord are called the coming of the Lord, and context must be study to know which coming it's talking about. Which time is it talking about Jesus coming? Um, throughout the Bible, it gives us all kinds of hints. God does it this way on purpose. You must, set, you must study the context to gain discernment. God does it this way so that you will have to gain wisdom, not just knowledge. You see, I can tell you, I'm going to tell you here in just a second, something about the comings of the Lord. But when you hear that, it's not going to mean as much to you as it will whenever you study it out for yourself and God shows it to you in the Bible, because the wisdom that you need to get from God is more valuable than the knowledge. Anybody can say anything. It's another thing to know God and know his word and know what it says. So the comings of God in the Bible, the comings of the Lord Jesus Christ, you must study throughout the Bible and study the context of them to know which one God is talking about. Uh, I worry about folks that get more out of books than out of the Bible and they never get fed by the word of God. They always have to go to the, the greatest teacher, the greatest preacher, and they read his books and they read his series and they read this book by this one and this book by that one and they're not really getting fed from the word of God. They've got all this Christian self-help stuff. I wonder if they're even saved at all because God feeds his people through the word of God. Luke chapter 12. Let's go there real quick. Let's look at this story and we'll just hope that this is a blessing to you in spite of the fallacies and shortcomings and uh, of this human agent. So here in Luke 12 and verse 31, Jesus says, "For but rather seek ye the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags that wax not old, which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Verse 35, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning and ye yourselves, like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Now this here is speaking of them that they're waiting for him when he comes from the wedding. This is given in context to the Jews, and this is given in context after the wedding supper. We're going to slow down here. Because this is, we're just going to have to slow down and take this slowly or we're not going to get it. I, and I understand that. So we're going to slow down a little bit. <coughs> Notice there in verse 36, does everybody see that there are men that wait for the Lord when he will return from the wedding? That wedding is in Revelation 19. Hold your place in Luke 12 and jump over to Revelation 19. Here is the wedding in verse seven. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready for the marriage of the lamb is come. Does everybody see that in Revelation 19 for the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. Jesus never had a wife on earth. Jesus is the lamb of God. The Bible is explicit about that. And here is a marriage of the lamb, and his wife hath made herself ready. We'll look at that more in just a little bit. Go back to Luke 12. This marriage that he's saying, the servants are watching for when he comes back from the wedding. Now, when he when he gets married, he will necessarily have his bride with him at the ceremony. It's not much of a wedding if you're the only person there. If your bride doesn't show up, it's a pretty sorry day. Um, we've Brother Michael Kime preaches on here. I'll tell a little story on him. He was telling us the other day that whenever he and his wife, um, Christian, were married, that they didn't, um, they had a miscommunication with the person that was um, coordinating in the back. And whenever the song came on that Mrs. Kime was supposed to go forward to the altar to that song, the coordinator did not recognize the song. She thought that there was going to be a different song, so she didn't open the doors, and Kristen stood in the back waiting, and the guy just kept playing and playing and playing the song for two or three minutes, and Michael stood up there wondering if his bride was ever going to come through the doors, and finally, Kristen said, that's my song, and the coordinator opened the doors, and in came the bride, much to the relief of Michael Kime, who was wondering if she had backed out at the last moment and jumped in the car and left for another stage or something. Listen, a wedding without a bride is a shame. A wedding without a bride is a reproach. A wedding without a bride is an embarrassment. And the Lamb has a marriage, and the Lamb has a bride. And if you can get that down, you can get a lot of eschatology figured out really fast. If you can just get those basic ideas that are all through the Bible down. Get it down. Jesus Christ has come for a bride. And here the Lord of these servants is gone to a wedding. And these servants are waiting until he will come, and they're told to be ready. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know that if the good men of the house had known what hour the thief would come, that he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh in an hour when ye think not. When we get to the next chapter, we'll find that he comes as a thief in the night, and we'll study that out later, that his coming will be almost sneaky in a sense. It'll sneak right up on him. Now, I want to show you something here in this text that is clearly in its context dealing with the Jews who are waiting for their Lord to come back from his wedding, okay? which means absolutely undisputably that there is a different coming for the Jews than there is for the bride. And that's so basic that it doesn't even need arguing. Most of the arguments that come about eschatology come because people are trying to figure out the Bible instead of just falling in love with Christ and reading it. And if you fall in love with Christ and read it, then things like the bride become very important to you. Now, if you're an intellectual, bride doesn't make much sense and it doesn't hold much promise but if you're in love with Christ the word bride is very important to you and next thing you know your eschatology is going to pretty much straighten out just getting this concept getting this basic concept but here in this text he says if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so blessed are those servants Now, this is speaking of the coming of a literal watch and they would split the time up into these three different watches. They talk about the second watch of the day, the third watch of the day, and they split the days up into these watches. But it's interesting and not just interesting, but purposeful and by inspiration of God that God put three watches in there. Those aren't watches you wear on your arm. That's an assignment to watch for a certain amount of time. So for example, to say your job is to watch from six o'clock to six o'clock. That would be a 12 hour watch. I can't remember and I didn't study what the watches were. in the Bible for this as far as the literal time frame, but these do count as literal watches. Jesus Christ is coming and he's coming in a literal day. He's coming in a literal hour and you know not what day or hour the Lord is coming, but there's something else here as well. There were three watches in the Bible. The first watch is in Luke two. Go there real quick. You can also find it in Zechariah's prophecies in Luke chapter 1, 67 through 80, but go to Luke 2, and we'll look at this real quick and move on. Here is the end of the first watch and the coming of the Lord. This is the first coming of Jesus Christ, and in Luke 2 and verse 25, he says, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents had brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him, and Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary's mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel for a, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Fenuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years which departed not from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Israel, looking for redemption, waiting for the consolation, waiting for the coming of Christ. And back in chapter one and verse 78, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus Christ came the first time and that was the first watch Jesus Christ came the first time and that was the first watch there is a second watch that comes in our text in 1st Thessalonians go back to 1st Thessalonians real quick And in 1 Thessalonians and verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the, and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain shall be caught up with them, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. This is the catching away of the church for the marriage supper of the lamb. This is when Christ, comes for his bride. And so this is a second watch, if you will. In our text in Luke 12, we had three watches implied. The first watch happened, was completed whenever Christ came the first time. The second watch is what we are watching for right now. We are in the second watch. And by the way, any Jew that is found watching when the second watch ends and Christ comes back for his bride will be caught up with. The church will be part of the church and part of that church age. There's no difference between Jew and Greek right now spiritually. So the Jews that are found watching in the second watch, blessed are those servants. And if they be found in the third watch, blessed are those servants. Do you see this? There were servants who were found watching at the end of the first watch. There were ser- there will be servants found watching at the end of the second watch when Christ comes back to claim his bride and catches her up to meet him in the Clouds of the air, not a visible coming where all the earth mourns and where he judges, but rather a coming for a bride. A wedding and a war are two different things, in case you can't figure that out. Now I know a lot of eschatological experts out there will say that they're both the same event, but they are missing the whole subject. They might not even be saved because they have it's all intellectual with them. They may be they may be saved. If they are, God will straighten them out at the marriage supper. You say, we'll all figure out when we get there. I say, yeah, I know. And you'll tell me I'm right then. No, you won't because you won't care. and Neither will I. We'll worship Jesus Christ. But this is right. And listen to me. Some people say, oh, we shouldn't, you know, there's just not enough information to know. Bogus hogwash baloney. That's a bunch of garbage. There's not enough information for you to know because you haven't studied it enough. But if you get in the Bible and seek the, seek the truth of God's word, ask God to show you, he will show you. It says you won't know the day or the hour. It doesn't say you won't know the order. And the order of events is plain to anyone who will humble themselves and let the Bible define the Bible. I have found without fail and without exception that people that believe in replacement theology and all this post-trib rapture and all this kind of stuff, all of them, every time, without fail that I have ever talked to, have exhibited intellectual pride where they place the writings of men and their own opinions above the word of God and will not submit to the plain reading of the Bible without fail. It says in Romans that a blindness in part has happened unto Israel, and everybody I've ever met that thinks that Israel has entered into that curse, and they're blind in part. They absolutely cannot see it. Paul said, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning this mystery. Speaking of Israel and the church, he says, lest ye should be wise in your own conceit, and everybody that I've ever met bar none or read after or listened to that believed in this post-trib stuff, this eschatological nightmare of, of failing to understand the second watch, the coming of the Lord for his church, this complete failure always um, when coupled with the replacement theology ideals of thinking that the church is Israel ends in spiritual conceit, just like Paul said, and it blinds you might be saved, proud, and useless for God to a large degree. (coughs) In all kinds of other errors that come in with that spiritual conceit that comes in. (coughs) Now, um, so uh, verse 16, we've just looked at. The Lord shall descend with a shout from heaven with a shout. The Lord himself with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Oh, wait a second. You, all your other eschatological plans are big comforts, right? Yeah, you better stockpile. You've got a plan. You've got to watch for the beast. You've got to watch for the Antichrist. You're, we're all going to get beheaded and die. Fun, fun. Moving on. Let's just stick with the Bible. There's comfort in the Bible. The third watch. Post-tribulation is Second Thessalonians 1, 7, so we're not even really going to get into that much in this study. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Now go to Revelation 19 real quick and we'll look at this relationship between the marriage of the Lamb and the revelation of Christ in flaming fire. In chapter 19 in verse 7 let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and her wife hath made herself ready and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And He saith unto me, Right, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And He said Say unto me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, see thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So here's a prophet and the marriage supper of the lamb has come. And she, his wife has made herself ready. And this man says, Hey, I'm just one of you. So here is this man. Are you following a man who was a preacher, but he's standing in heaven in a glorified body, which means post resurrection, He's standing there in a glorified body and in such that here, John the Revelator, as some people call him, John the Apostle, fell at his feet to worship him. And he said, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So here you have a resurrected prophet standing there talking with John. Now, verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. Verse 11 of chapter 19 of Revelation. And I saw heaven open to behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness, he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew, but he himself. Now I want to ask a pop quiz question. What came first, the marriage or the wrath or the judgment, the marriage or the judgment, which came first here? The marriage or the war, which one came first? The marriage in verse 7. And the war started in verse 11. This isn't rocket science. This doesn't take a degree in theology. This doesn't take a bunch of um, loop-de-loops and and weird eschatological um, craziness. You just read the Bible. It says what it says. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. It just told you who those were clothed in the fine linen, white and clean, just Previously, in verse 8 there, the bride, the wife of the Lamb, now married, dressed in the righteousness of Christ, the fine linen. And where are these armies when heaven is opened and the white horse is seen and Jesus Christ is revealed coming down from heaven to earth? It did not say in the clouds, where is this army? The armies which are in heaven followed him. This isn't rocket scientist, or, right, scientist stuff, Okay. This is what I want you to get. It's simple. People make eschatology so intense and so crazy and so hard to understand. It's not hard. Just believe the Bible. Now, if you want to act all smart and smarter than everybody else, then yeah, you can make a giant tangled up mess of spaghetti noodles out of it and then impress people as you try and untangle it. But you're going to end up teaching and preaching false doctrine. If you do that, just believe the Bible. The marriage comes before the war, and when the heaven is opened and Christ is revealed and comes down from heaven to earth to destroy his enemies, you can read on there, the sharp two-edged sword, the rod of iron, the destruction of the nations, the judgment of Satan for a thousand years, the beast and the false prophet taken, cast into the lake of fire. All of that's post-trib, and when that happens, the bride, the lamb's wife, is in heaven, armed, married, ready to go to war. With Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Not difficult. There's not even a room for discussion. So all of you post tribbers out there, if you want to argue about it, go argue with each other. I'm my mind's made up. The Bible says so. I believe it. There's no, no room for discussion here. All the rest of this stuff is silly. Now, in our text in 1 Thessalonians, he says, They which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Now, this here is also very important. You're not going to be in the way of them which are asleep. How come? How come? Why won't you? Because they're already with Christ. Let's look at some more texts. Some of you just did backflips online. Already with Christ. Yes, they're already with Christ. Let's look at the Bible. Revelation 6 and verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Where are the souls here in Revelation 6 that had been slain, dead in Christ? Where are they? Revelation 6 9. Under the altar, they're not in the earth, they're in heaven. And these ones are under the altar. Verse 10, and they cried with a loud voice. Are they sleeping? Or are they awake? Very much awake. Cognizant. They know what's going on. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Wow. By the way, that could be your mama. You turn against your mama. The Bible says that the children will cause the parents to be put to death in the end times. You turn on your mama and have her put to death, and she'll be up there under the altar saying, God, how long till you wipe up the ground with my wicked son and my wicked daughter and my wicked nephews and nieces and my wicked brothers and sisters? How long till you go and slay them and let their blood spill all over the ground? Listen, all this, we've, we've talked about this some already about the family of God. And family relationships and the family of God. In heaven, your mama's not going to think of you like your son, like her son. She's going to be in love with Christ. And Christ is going to be foremost. And his glory is going to be foremost. And you're not going to get one prayer from your mama except God go kill him in heaven if you're the sinner. You're not going to get a lick of help from anybody that's dead and gone. Where are they when they die? Well, here are some under the altar. Go to Revelation 8 and verse 14. Let's get some things absolutely settled here. I don't know how I got 8.14, because there's not fourteen verses in eight. So that would be seven fourteen. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest <coughs> He asked, here John asked, Who are all these people? He sees a bunch of people. Who what, what are these that are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir thou knowest, and he said to me, So this man asked John, John said, you know who they are. The man says to John, "Um, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Now we looked at that great tribulation whenever we looked at um, the text that deals with tribulation in first Thessalonians, and that would be uh, verse four of chapter three of first Thessalonians. You can go look up that lesson. The church of Jesus Christ is suffering persecution and in great tribulation right now the true church is the fake church is not the, that's that's where the confusion comes from these that think the church is going through the tribulation they're talking about the fake church and it is most of those people out there that are that think that they're going through the tribulation are going through the tribulation because they're not really his Now it says here, these are they which came out of great tribulation have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and served him day and night in his temple and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. So here they are before the throne of God. They're wearing white robes and they're serving God day and night in his temple. Now forget, forget soul sleep. They're not even sleeping at night. They're serving God day and night. They don't even fall asleep. Here they are in heaven. Listen to me. When a Christian dies, they go to heaven immediately to be with God. Go to Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13 quickly. Revelation 14 and verse 13. Here in verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Here are people who are saved during the tribulation. And if they take the mark of the beast, they'll die. But if they don't, life is, is hell on earth for them. They're going through great tribulation. And he says in verse 13, And I heard the voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. It says that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. 15 in chapter, um, chapter 15, verse two. And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. Where are all these dead people standing on the sea of glass, having the harps of God, no longer dead. Jesus said, they that believe in me shall never taste death. It says in verse 3, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name, for thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Go to 2 Corinthians 5 quickly. 2 Corinthians 5, and then we'll go to 1 Corinthians, and Lord willing, wrap it up. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle, the body, he calls a tabernacle, over and over again throughout Corinthians. We're not going to go to that right now. Um, So this is the body that he's speaking of in tabernacle for we that are in this tabernacle, our body do groan, being burdened, not for that. We would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. He's saying this body, it's not that I want, he's saying it's not that I want to or that we want to die so that we will be out of our body, but rather so that we can have our new body. We want to be changed. It's not that we want to die because we won't die. It's that we want to be changed. Nowhere does he say, I'm ready to die. I want to die. I just want to die. That's not what Paul said anywhere. Instead, that's what Elijah said when he was in depression there under the juniper tree, it'd be better for me to die. It's what Jonah said when he was angry about God's mercy to the Ninevites. God just let me die. It would be better for me to die. But here Paul says, we don't groan. um, We groan being burdened not that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing as God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Pay close attention. Verse 3 for, or 7 For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We are willing to be absent from from the body and to be present with the Lord. This is what caused Paul to say I am in a strait betwixt two. For he says I'd rather depart and be with God; nevertheless to be present with you is more needful. So and then he says that he's sure that he will. Go to 1 Corinthians 15 and we'll see if we can get any of this as we're running out of time. So here in First Corinthians 15, he speaks most of all of the resurrection. Verse 3, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scripture. Now go down to verse 12. Now if Christ be preached that He rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain." Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up if so be that the dead rise not for if the dead rise not then is not Christ raised and if Christ be not raised your faith is vain and ye are yet in your sins then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. He said, if Christ is not risen, then those that die in their um, even in Christ, they're perished, they're gone. There's no hope for them. They're not coming back. Verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men, most miserable. I remember reading a book as a kid where, um, somebody made an invention that could get him into, um, a nether world. And it was all just this mist and these knots, these zeros and these zeros floating around where the Leftover remains of people, and somebody had gone and gotten lost in that world, and they went and got that person and brought them back. All that kind of trash, I wish I never even read, all that kind of trash is how the world sees death. That's not reality. When you die, you don't go wander in the mists of darkness. You don't just go flit around as a nothing, as a zero. When you die, you will either be present in hell or present in heaven. And the Bible teaches that the rich man who died lost in hell lifted up his eyes, being in torments. He was sentient. He was awake. He was cognizant. He was understanding. He was thinking. He was remembering. He was praying. He was beseeching. He was shouting. He was crying. He was in misery. He was there in hell. But for the saved, they have hope. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable, it says. Verse 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them which of them that slept for since by man came death by man came also the resurrection of the dead for as in Adam all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive, but every man in his own order, Christ, the first fruits afterward, they that are Christ's at his coming, then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. So we find there there's three watches there as well. Um, watches for the um first coming of Christ. The Christ is the first fruits. They that are Christ at his coming are the second, and then in the end whenever Christ brings up those souls under the altar and the tribulation saints that have died there and resurrects their bodies. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, it says for he hath put all things under his feet. That ends in Revelation um in the end of Revelation nineteen and then goes into Revelation twenty. It says and when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him that God may be all in all else. What shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die daily. And he goes on talking about this um, dead Dinah being rose from the dead. He gives the analogy of a grain, like a corn of wheat, as Jesus would say, it falls to the ground and dies it abideth alone. But if it die, it bring forth much fruit. So this grain that is sown is not what it comes back as. Verse 38, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him and to every seed his own body and all different glories. There's different glories of celestial bodies, bodies Terrestrial. The glory of the celestial is one; the glory of the terrestrial is another. So there's it is sown a natural body. In verse forty-four, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. So when you die, your natural body is laid in the grave, but your spiritual body is with Christ. And someday your natural body will be raised from the dead and quickened and changed. That's why he says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In verse 51, beloved, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed. Study out this whole chapter in your own time if you can. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So our text here, he says to them, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, not just the word of man, but the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. The application in 1 Corinthians 15 is labor on labor on comfort one another labor on get the job done work hard don't faint don't be afraid don't be afraid of the consequences of following Jesus we have a blessed hope we have a resurrection to look for praise the Lord Father in Jesus name I pray that you would take these um, mumblings of mine and anoint them and use them in people's lives and comfort us Father Father Lord, forgive me for all my shortcomings and um, idiosyncrasies, Lord, that might throw people off from your word. Lord, I pray that you'd just strike all that from the record, Lord God, and just help people to hear what will help them and get past everything else. Lord, help me to be more like Christ and less of a stumbling block to people, Lord, in the way I present your truth. Help me to present it right in Jesus' name and for Christ's sake. Amen.